0: Welcome everybody to the Step Zero podcast. Uh, that's the first time I speak to Scott Lees and Richard Harris, two of the you know biggest personalities in sales in the US, like huge content providers and value providers on on many many social platforms. They both founded their own consulting agencies. Um, Scott and Richard, thank you so much for coming on board. Yeah, thanks for having us here,
1: man. We're uh, we're excited to chat with you. Um, Likewise. Just so if people wonder what happens to me, my voice is very, my computer is very glitchy at the moment. So I apologize in advance.
0: That's all right. I'm sure it will come out perfect. Um, so, you know, like we, we, had a, we had a very brief chat before, before the recording. And like I said, like you, you guys have, have done so much, not just for sales. And I know that sales, salespeople are probably your biggest audience. You're very, very known, especially in the US, when it comes to sales, inside sales, um, SaaS sales. Uh, but you also touch very often on mental health and vulnerability, and you are both pretty open about that. And uh, this podcast specifically is about mental well-being and is about uh, mental well-being in the workplace specifically. And I thought it would be of great value to bring you both on board, which I'm very grateful for, and uh, let you open up once again uh, about uh, what, why specifically. Mental well-being is so important to you and uh, and we'll take it from there. So I'll ask one of you, either Scott or Richard, to um, to take the stage and tell me, or you know, briefly tell us why is mental well-being such a big thing for you and and why you decided to make it such an integral part of your sales activity.
2: I was gonna let Richard go first, but I think that his uh his mic or computer might have uh might have frozen. Um you know for for me my my story and get how I got into sales begins with physical illness. Um, I got really, really sick right before my twenty third birthday and um, you know spent the majority of the next four years in the hospital uh, fighting for my life ended up with um, autoimmune diseases and colon cancer scare and opioid addiction on top of all of this, and nine surgeries, four, you know, major abdominal surgeries, two life-saving emergency surgeries. And, and you know, it took me till I was 27 years old to even kind of get a career going. And, you know, I have so much, like, traumatic memories from, you know, all of that time. Uh, you know, I still deal with a truckload of physical pain every single day. I have, you know, low level, constant anxiety that at any point in time, I'm going to get sick again. And everything that I've, you know, been up to is going to get ripped away from me. Um, you know, I've dealt with my own mortality. There was times in the hospital where I, you know, I probably, you would call it had suicidal ideation. You know, I, I certainly remember calling out to God, asking him to, you know, take me and kill me because I couldn't handle the pain anymore and things like that. Um, and you know, for me, just owning my story and my narrative, uh, has been really, really instrumental for me as I built my career. And as I moved along in leadership, because I think sales has so many, there's so many people who get into sales in particular from random walks of life and people who've been through, hell and back and have you know stories like mine or like richard's and um it doesn't get talked about enough and you know i i don't like the idea that some people might look at somebody like me and think that i'm bulletproof and had some kind of great perfect you know upbringing and situation because it's not like that you know at all and uh i can still be physically challenged as well as mentally challenged at times and, and still be successful and still find ways to grow and help people. And, uh, pushing that message is just something that's been really, you know, important to me. And I know it's really important to, uh, to Richard as well.
1: Yeah. I'm hoping I got my wifi connection fixed. So somebody interrupt me if I freeze. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit different than Scott in the, in that mine's a little bit more, well, it's a lot more mental than it ever was physical, so it started in a different way, um, and I've just always sort of had this impending dread. I've always sort of described it as, you know, if there was a string inside my body, it was just sort of tugging down on my heart just a little bit, or if I was walking, I had like five-pound weights on each foot, and, you know, I can still move and I can still function, but it just takes extra effort, um, emotionally and physically. And and so for me, it was, it's been that, and it's been diagnosed as anxiety and depression. Um, I dealt with it for 30 plus years before I really got serious about it because one day I literally woke up almost, I mean, I guess you could call it a nervous breakdown, but I, I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I, you know, I called my mom and, you know, we, we talked about it and she helped me find a therapist and I still see this woman, you know, 20 years later. Um, and so it was just a very different experience. Um, but I, I knew even when I started therapy that I'd always felt this way. Um, as a kid, I remember feeling this way. And so, so for me, you know, to Scott's point is, you know, it's a discrimination, right? As soon as you hear someone tell you that they have mental health or you're seeing a therapist, you know, lots of times people will, You know, no, they don't. They don't mean it intentionally, but they'll sort of, you know, back away or shy away from it. I think in the last four or five years, that's shifted a little bit. I think people are becoming more vocal about it. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of talking about it, and every time I do, people always. I know Scott gets the same thing of like, oh my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you so much. I never, you know, you know, it's it's nice to know other people are dealing with it, and it's just like anything else in life, right? Anytime we have a struggle, it's nice to know someone else has had it or had the same struggle so that that's my that's my quick side of the story
0: well it's a quick side but the relevant side i appreciate you you know both of you opening up also i know you you did it um on, on multiple occasions before but i appreciate you doing it again on uh, on this podcast and uh you know i'll 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 speak my piece very briefly um just because i feel like i'm somewhere in between the two of you like as in I I also dealt with uh, you know probably not to the same extent that uh, Scott did but I also dealt with a lot of um, gastrointestinal issues and uh, and there was a point where I was suffering from from stomach pain a lot and and it was really impairing it was really difficult to go about my you know professional and personal life while dealing with the with the with the stomach pain and uh, then depression kicked in and to a point where I didn't really know what was the cause and what was the the effect right like i didn't know which came first and so i think i have uh, probably two different degrees because you know every experience is uh, is personal but uh, i probably experienced uh, or i can probably relate at least partly to both of what you're what you're saying and uh, and the reason i guess the main reason why i called you on board for this conversation is because I feel there is a huge problem um, in the workplace specifically, and this is true for sales, but it's true for, I would say, any department, any, any professional right now, whether it's in, in the US or in Europe or, or in Asia, I would say everywhere. Um, people have a big issue opening up about the problem, right? And, uh, and I, I have some notes here with me, and this is from, this is from uh, uh, time timetochange.org, it's an organization based in the UK. And they said in a report from you know, this year, 2020, that 50, 56% of, um, of UK adults said they would not hire someone with depression, even if they were the best candidate for the job. And this is just one of the many probably reasons, right, why um, candidates or professionals in general feel like it's very naive Uh, probably to to open up Uh, they know that there will be consequences and uh, as far as I know most of them keep it to themselves do you guys have any opinion any personal um, side to share um, any experience with this
1: yeah I think that um look I you know even though I suffer from this if 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 I were in management and I probably did this long before I ever addressed my issues I probably looked for People who were less dramatic, in general. However, I know that highly dramatic people or people who have a little bit more chaos in their life are very good at sales. But that also means you've got to manage them very differently. And I was not good at that. I was not skilled at that. Um, so I think I sort of looked for it in a different way. You know, you would, I, you know, in the states we would never ask about your, your health status. I don't know what it's like in in the EU, in the States you can't ask about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I don't, so I I know that that exists. I know that that, that discrimination truly exists because I would, you know, if I thought someone was going to be too dramatic or too hard for me to manage, then I would try to avoid that person Um, because I had problems like that before. I had other managers at my same company who were great at it. And I was just like, how do you deal with it? And they just like, you know, you just kind of have to roll with it. So anyway, so I know that it happens. I know that um, it, it, even after you take the job, it can still sort of be, "Uh uh-oh, now what do we do with this person, right? So there's, you know, there's all kinds of stigma and discrimination around it, so. But Scott's, you know, I've talked to Scott and I've learned from Scott that no, 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 Here's here's how you can support those people and help people And, and then they, you know, you're not going to solve those issues, but their level of purpose will increase and their level of gratitude and support for you as a leader will increase because you accept them as they are. So,
2: yeah, I mean, I, first of all, neither, neither Richard nor I are HR professionals. So nobody listening should take our like, word, you know, 100% on this just in terms of what's the right thing to, to do and, and not to do. Um, but I, I, I have always just looked at my role as a sales leader um, as trying to help people be better. And, you know, I've sort of said for a while now, and, and my, our, me and Richard's buddy, Kevin Dorsey, talks about this to some degree as well, but like, better people sell better right? And you can move that to any field, like better people market better, better people, you know, make better lawyers or whatever. The point is like, I'm not supposed to just work with somebody on sales tactics and technique. I'm supposed to help you grow and become a better person, someone who's capable of doing more, someone who's maybe better at managing their finances, somebody who's better at dealing with, you know, some physical challenges that they're working through better at dealing with some emotional challenges. You know, my my job is to support you in any way that I can. And if that means trying to help you figure out, like, you know, I've referred people to like acupuncture and take these supplements and go see this doctor and whatnot, right? So you mentioned GI issues, like, that's my whole thing for the last 20 years is all things GI. So, I've become like a de facto kind of doctor (laughs) where everybody comes to me and is like, Hey, I've got this medical thing. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of know about that. Right. So like, I, I don't, I don't know, shy. I don't shy away from those things, you know, at all. And I feel like on some level, the more I know as a leader, the better equipped I am to help somebody. Right. I know, you know, maybe why you're struggling or suffering. And if I know that, I can be more supportive rather than just, you know, thinking you don't care or thinking you're not, you know, good. Like, how can I help remove these obstacles that you're dealing with every day to help you then be more comfortable and confident as you move through the world? And if I do that, I'm, you're going to perform better. That's my belief, right? And so that, that's kind of how I how I approach it, you know, but I think people need to be careful. They need to know before they bring this stuff up, you've got to know what kind of leader you're reporting to and what kind of company you're, you're working at. You know, I, if you know your boss is does not share the same attitude that I just expressed, it might not be the right way to go about it. But if you have a boss who's talked about these things and written about these things and gone on record the way that I, you know, have, then maybe, you know, that is the right move. So, um, that's not that there's no black and white answer there you know it's a little nuanced
0: no that's that's super useful and i and i know that richard you're you're very tight on time so i'll uh, i'll uh, i'll give the word to you once again and i and i appreciate you being um very i appreciate you 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 keeping it real and saying that somebody who's overly dramatic might not be uh necessarily the best fit for, for your team. At the same time, I know that you've, you've uh, opened up a lot over the years. You're very vocal about, you know, your, your, your own struggles.
1: So I would say that it doesn't mean they're not a right fit for the team. In fact, probably the opposite. They're the right fit for the team. Uh It's the wrong fit for me. And that's a me issue, not them issue. It's a, it's a leadership and management issue of like, if I'm going to be in leadership or you're going to be in leadership, this is what Scott has taught me. All the things he just said is, is, you know, really, and that still, even when I hear Scott talk about it, it, for me, I've gotten better at it and I can do it, but I also have this moment of like, Oh my God, that's so much high maintenance. Right. Mm-hmm. And Scott, his DNA is just different than Richard's. Right. So it's definitely, you know, look, if anybody is you know, ever been called dramatic and they're listening to this, don't listen, you know, please listen. Like you are good for the sales team. I promise you you're good because you're going to be a high achiever, you just need to to Scott's point. It also takes a a good manager, a better manager than I think the old school manager from from the '90s and early 2000s. That that's that's my last sort of thing I would encourage people who are listening to to think about. It's it's not you; it's them. Literally, it's the manager.
0: I think the three of us are aligned, right? As in, like, I mean, Scott mentioned the same thing with different with different words. I would say, as you know, like like Scott said. It depends on on the boss you're reporting to there's some you know there, there could be richard the boss there could be scott the boss and uh, and they both very much okay with you opening up about your mental health but somebody may receive it in a, in a certain way some other may be able to deal with it uh better or to or to give you different guidance right um yeah. and richard before you before you go i know you're i know you're busy um let me ask you what would be, if you had to give one piece of advice for, you know, for somebody who feels the, uh, the urge of, uh, of opening up and speaking to somebody at work, like, what would you be your, your single most important piece of advice for those people? You've been a manager, you manage, uh, you know, yeah,
1: practice. so I would, well, the first thing is that, you know, they have to reach some level of acceptance that they're, that they want to explore this, not even that they are admitting that they have a child that, that, they have a depression or an anxiety or whatever, just like, Hey, something's not feeling what I think is normal. And I, I'd like to explore that feeling. Right. And I think that's a really good first step. Um, I would tell people to try to find your closest peers and friends outside of work first um, because you need to protect yourself, particularly in this, in this world. Like we know this level of discrimination exists and maybe your company's really good at it. And maybe they talk about it. like, there's a couple of companies here in the States, Gong and some others who talk about mental health openly. If you're at that kind of company, then you probably have a stronger resource network. But I would, you know, I would go to your, whether it's a clergy person, your best friend, your significant other. Um, if you, you know, if one of your friends has become a doctor and you just say, hey, I need to ask you some medical advice. You know, I, I would sort of go outside first. And that's a, a little bit of a protectionist. That's how Richard operates, so recognize that's Richard, that's not everybody else. Um, and then once you sort of start to just think about it and lay it out, then at the right time you could decide when you think you should go talk to someone at work about it, right? Um, and you may, you know, everybody I know has sort of the work best friend, right? They always have this best friend at work who, you know, we may or may not spend a lot of time outside of work with. so. You know that might be the first person you talk to about it at work but you also want to make sure there's some trust there so those are the places I would tell you to look and, and where to go first
0: so first let's say figure it out within your private network is probably the safest way um, you know significant other you know for you know lucky ones like me for example I, I have a chance to to speak to the door very often about it but uh, uh, some other people might not be as lucky so probably friends like you mentioned you know clergy members um you know whoever whoever you consider close and then once you feel a little more comfortable maybe do that by you know a certain you know, maybe to a smaller degree at work and see how um colleagues react and then maybe take it up to your manager and uh, and ask for a private chat is this like a i would say did i did i interpret your your words
1: correctly you did. And, and this is also the part where I got to quickly say goodbye and thank you. And I will always come back to this and talk about this topic or any other sales topic. But I'll, I'll leave you in excellent hands with Scott.
0: I appreciate it, Richard. We'll, we'll have a chance to speak again.
1: It may not be as interesting with Scott by himself, but you know we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Parting shots. I expect nothing less. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, well, Scott, it's me and you then. Then, uh, then uh, we'll we'll take it forward. And I appreciate you, uh, you, uh, you staying a little longer. And obviously, thank you, thank you, Richard, for uh, for his contribution. Like it's, uh, like I said, it's uh, it's an honor to to have both of you guys and and have a chance to speak to you about uh, about such a big issue. Um, Scott, you mentioned that you know, rightly so. Like it depends on it depends on your boss, and obviously, for a part two. Uh, a certain kind of manager is not that open about it you might want to be careful if you report to somebody who's very vocal about it then you might feel safer and then the, you know your opening up process might be quicker um what was your if i may ask your experience um in, in your career have you experienced like both kind of uh, both kind of bosses like have you have you ever felt immediately comfortable sharing your your views on that
2: you know i um I think because of what I went through, I sort of lost all fear around, you know, repercussions. So I just decided that I was going to be open about everything and and control the narrative. And if people didn't want to hire me because of it or, or what have you, then so be it. There's worse things that I've been through. So (laughs) you think I care if you're not going to hire me because you know, I've been through hell before. Like I, dude, that doesn't bother me at all. Right. Um, and I, and, and I felt like in controlling the narrative, like I could turn it into a superpower. So rather than, than saying like, look, you know, yeah, I don't have any uh, experience on my resume. I, I haven't, I haven't worked anywhere, you know, in years and not sharing why I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm 27 years old. I've never had a, a job before. I haven't worked anywhere since I was 22. Here's why, right? And now, and I tell them, and I walk them through. Like, man, I was in the hospital for years. You know what it's like to not be able to breathe fresh air. You know, there was one period of time in the hospital where not only was I um, on bowel rest and not able to eat anything, I wasn't even able to drink anything. Do you know how fucking hard it is to not have a sip of water or a bite of food for? weeks on end the emotional war in dealing with that it was that was harder than the physical war and all of these different things like kicking dope like that was easy compared to surgeries that i've had and the recovery through those kind of processes you think i'm worried about getting rejected on the phone from cold calling get out of here dude (laughs) that's nothing right and so in telling that story during an interview process I felt, I felt like I could give some perspective and illustrate, like, you're getting a warrior right here. You're getting somebody who's fearless. You're getting somebody who's resilient. You're getting somebody who is appreciative of this particular opportunity and is not here to waste anybody's time or squander, you know, this special opportunity that, that we have. And I just felt like the advantages of that far outweighed any potential disadvantages. And if somebody didn't hire me, I, my thought process candidly, was just fuck them. I wouldn't have liked working there anyways. And I wouldn't have liked working for that person. So I'm going to own who I am. I'm going to own my story and, and what I've been through. And uh, I'm going to only want to work for people who, who are moved by that and
0: who understand that and who are willing to give me a chance, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, you you perfectly answered my my follow up question, which was about you know the the impact that your that your vulnerability had on your career moving forward. But obviously, you know you answered that perfectly when you said you turned that into your superpower. And I know that you know to like to to this point specifically, Richard would agree with you because I know he um, even um, posted a very interesting piece of content about, you know, how um, his, uh, his uh, personal issues were turned into a superpower, right? And, and Scott, if I may, like, I, I was, you know, I, I, I look here and there in, uh, on, on, your, on your website. I know you, you regularly post very valuable pieces of content. And there was, there was one piece of content that I particularly appreciated. And there was about mentioning uh, Joko Willing. Uh, I know that uh, you know. You mentioned him speaking about being default aggressive, which means you know you you explained it like very very well, and 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 I loved reading it. Which is you know default aggressive is not about obviously uh, you know going to you know looking for fights or anything like that. There's nothing you know there's nothing interpretable that way. But it's about being proactive instead of reactive, right? And I and I connected you know what you just said to to what you wrote on on your website. Um, about, being, about being proactive. And I, and I saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of that behavior in what you just explained, as in, you know, you, you put yourself out there, you own your, your narrative. And, uh, and if people don't like it or your manager doesn't like it, then that's probably not somebody you would want to work with anyway. Um, was that, um, I guess, a proper comparison that I made? Like, uh, was I allowed to, to mention anything like that?
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. You know, and um being proactive instead of reactive is is something that I wish more people would do um, and and in particular around their stories and the things that they've they've been through. you know I mean, the older I get, I sort of just realized that you know all of us, all of our lives are kind of screwed up and full of challenges, right? And you don't know which person has mental health issues, physical health issues, or, or what have you. Um, We're all going through, through something. And, uh, you know, trying to hide who you are in any way um, is just not something that I wanted to, to do, you know? And so Mm -hmm. my default just became, I'm going on the offensive here. You know, I'm not going to let somebody um, you know, turn me away and then i have to figure out how to respond to it like i'm just going to show up this is who i am love me hate me don't care
0: i'm going to figure it out anyway right
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, do, do you think that's that's interesting like why you know I, as, as you were speaking i was thinking probably not you know not everyone would be as um as outspoken about it as you would, obviously you had a very intense experience, right? So, um, like you said, you know, I, I went through that. Uh, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't get scared of a of a cold call. I, I wouldn't get scared of, you know, manager disliking me or anything like that. Um, what would you tell those people who maybe haven't had as strong as an experience, but are, you know, still kind of in between, or should I, you know, should I? Speak about my issues to my colleagues, or or should I not? Like, what would you say is, in that sense, the main advantage um, of being vulnerable, of opening up to people? What's the what's the? Yeah, I would say probably advantage is the right word. What's the main advantage of being vulnerable in this case?
2: Um, I think that we are living in a world now where truth and fact is an option (laughs) rather than a than a reality unfortunately and so with the amount of noise that is out there one of the best ways to cut through the noise is just to be completely authentic and and I think people are seeking that right now you know um and 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 I think that if you're in a leadership position in particular you're going to attract people to you who want to work for you. Nobody wants to go work for a leader that they think is fake or is, you know, this way in public and this other way in private, right? Nobody wants to go work for a company that has all these nice values on the wall and behaves completely different in, in reality. You know, my, my friend, Nick Meta, the CEO of Gainsight talked about that. That's one of the, fastest ways to destroy the culture is to not not abide by the values that you've written on the on the walls in in your organization so to me the big advantage is trust that authenticity brings trust and when your team trusts you they're going to work harder they're going to perform better they'll execute the things that you're asking them to do they know you're going to be there in the corner to support them when when times get tough when things are going good you know you're going to fight for them to get promotions and raises and, and things like this. Um, so th- those are the main advantages to me, you know, from, from a leadership perspective. And from an individual contributor perspective, like, the, the advantage, I think, is some of it is just personal. Like, there's so much less energy and mental cycle you have to spend if you're just being who you are, rather than having to fake it or put on this, this act. Right. I mean, it's gotta be absolutely exhausting. Um, And, and you, by being vulnerable, you can form really good bonds with colleagues and, and, and bosses, right. Who then become more invested in your, in your success. And you create really powerful, you know, uh, relationships that, you know, might transcend this one job and might last forever, or they might take you from one job to the next. I can't even tell you how many people have worked with me before at two, three, four companies, right? There's one guy in particular that I'm thinking of who worked at me with four companies. He's worked at me. I've only worked full time for six companies ever. And he worked at four of them with me and followed me from California all the way to Texas, 2000 miles away. Right. That is, is one of the advantages. So I, that person was vulnerable with me, got good at selling. And then over the years, I, you know, cared more and more and more I'm like grooming him and now he's a VP of sales. Right. Um, and I, I, just, my, I think my goal and hope is that, is that people just, uh, just, just make the right decision, you know, for them and gravitate towards leaders and companies that, that have this more kind of modern mindset and approach about mental health and and not an old school mindset where you keep all those things, you know, leave everything at the door, right? That's what everybody loves to say. say. I mean, that's just not – that doesn't make sense in the modern work environment. Leave it at the door? What are you talking about? We've all been stuck at home for six months. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love my family, but you know how sick I am of my kids? Give me a break. You know how sick they are of me, right? You can't leave it at the door. You know what I mean? You can't leave it. And that's, and that's real. And so we, we as leaders and, and company builders, we've got to adjust to that. And I, and I think if, if we create a supportive, nurturing environment, the people will get more comfortable and they'll follow and they'll be more open. And, you know, I think we're starting to see glimpses of that. And I think it's going to take more people speaking about these things to to bring about really big, you know, kind of sweeping change.
0: That's that's beautiful said. Um, so are we then encouraging, let's say, I'm thinking specifically of people who are transitioning to, to a leadership position, right? Like, because it might be more difficult for somebody who's been, uh, a leader for a long time and and has followed a certain structure and certain behavior for a long time to change i'm thinking mostly instead for of of people who are transitioning into into leadership positions and are and are kind of figuring out the way of you know um treating their own their own peers their own colleagues are we then encouraging them to make the first move and uh, and kind of like you know yeah. hey this is me um you know this is this is i'm bringing my own self to work so to speak like feel free to do the same one million percent
2: yes Mm -hmm. to that you know
0: it's the
2: same reason why if i go take a job at a at a company to build a sales org like the first thing i have to do is figure out how to sell the product myself right so i can get everybody around me to see oh this guy practices what he preaches right Mm -hmm. he's in there He's on the, on the phones, making the calls, trying to be successful just like we are. Um, you mentioned another thing about, like, somebody who's been in a leadership role for a long time and, like, maybe it'll be harder for them to change. But, you know, you, you don't stay successful as a leader or a coach by sticking to strategies decade after decade after decade, right? Like, you, you played uh, football, soccer, right? Now, 30 something years ago, okay, like everybody played a 4-4-2. Four defenders, four midfielders, two, you know, strikers. Well, if you look at the formations people play today, nobody plays a four-four-two. Right? You got all these funky things, weird formations, right? Two, one, four, one, one, one. Like, what the heck is that? Right? Well, what you're doing is you're adapting to the modern game, and you're also adapting to the personnel you have on your particular team, right? And putting people in the best position to help them succeed. That's no different, it's no different. So a coach using these tactics, you know, today, that they were using in 1950, is going to struggle massively. Right, so a sales leader or a CEO who's trying to manage their personnel the same way they did in the year 2000 and the same way they did in the year 1980 is going to struggle massively right now. You've got to be, you've got to be able to adapt, right? And you've got to, you hear this term agile all the time. Like you've got to be agile. You got to evolve. I don't talk the same way I do today that I did 10, 15, 20 years ago. I sure as shit wouldn't manage the same way. Right. And I'm sure the things that I say now, five years from now, I might look back on and be like, holy cow, I need to, you know, update my skill set here a little bit because I might be preaching something different. You've got to you've got to keep learning. You've got to keep evolving.
0: That's I, I, I fully agree with that. and I'm happy. I'm happy you said that because people hearing it from you, I think they will they will really, um, really consider it and really taking it very seriously. Um do you like and allow me to make another parallel um because obviously I'm a big fan of your content, but like you speak a lot about micro communities, right? Uh, and the uh, and the need for um really creating like a small focused community, be it professionals, uh be it you know, um just individuals in general. Do you see this attitude of leaders like creating micro communities at work? As in like you know, call them teams, call them, um, call them tight knit communities. Like, do you see a parallel between, um, you know, opening up and, and being vulnerable and being able as a consequence to build this micro community of vulnerable, but very powerful individuals. Yeah. It's just an extension of
2: whatever team that you've built, you know, at work, right? so if, if if i'm if I'm running a sales org for a company and we have, I don't know, you know a hundred salespeople and SDRs and sales managers and whatnot, like that's a micro community to me. We've never talked about it that way. We've always just said, oh, that's the sales department. But that's a micro community inside the company. And now what we're able to do, whether it's LinkedIn or the Patreon community that I run or Thursday night sales community that I run or the surfing sales community that Richard and I run or Rev Genius, which is a community that I've been, been helping, uh, helping out. Now what I'm able to do is I'm able to build more of these and involve people from all over the world, not just people who are working with me inside my company you see what i'm saying so my reach has been able to expand right and so now i'm able to just bring in people from berlin who are attracted to the content that i produce or the way that i think and talk and the way that i lead right and you can have lots of these different things um and so it's just a, it's just a way to do more and faster and simpler and more seamless rather than being like Oh, I have this team here, and only these 100 people who work for me will ever get to know what I'm all about. It doesn't work like that anymore.
0: You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And do you? And again, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of speechless. You know, every time you 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 touch on these topics, like I'm, I'm really, really happy to um, to get you to speak about them. Do you do you see this? Like, would you say there is a positive trend? As in, like you know, we we mentioned in the beginning with with Richard as well that. You know, maybe five or, or many years ago it was different, but maybe around five years ago then people started opening up more and there's a bit less of a stigma. Do you see in the next coming years, let's take the next five to 10 years, it will, will it be easier to create these micro-communities? Will, will people be more open to that? Oh, I think, I
2: think everybody is already open to it, to be honest with you. Mm. I, I, I think that um, big and massive and huge scale is is out because what happens what has happened is it's just too noisy and too confusing so unless you're you've been in this big huge community for a very long time and are entrenched and know who to listen to and who to tune out if you're a new entrant you don't know what's what Mm -hmm. and and so sticking to the smaller group and becoming more niche that's absolutely what's happening. So you've got like an SDR only community. You might have an SDR leadership only community. You have communities of sales leaders only. You have communities of marketing leaders only. I mean, I, I, I really don't see this slowing down um, for the foreseeable future. But like all things, it'll probably flip around again. You know, 20 years from now, big massive scale might be what's hot again. You know, but but right now I think it's about intimacy, it's about experience, it's about deep, meaningful relationships, it's about authenticity and vulnerability. And and I think more and more people who are in leadership roles are talking about these things, building these things through podcasts and and you know, their LinkedIn groups and Slack communities and things like that. I don't see it slowing down. I think there'll be more. And uh, I think the challenge will be, you know, as a consumer, how the heck do I participate and stay active in all of these different things while also, you know, having a life and a a job, right? So like, you know, are you going to sign up for Scott's community and Richard's and Mateo's and, right? It's like, you're going to have to, Kind of pick and choose and i think people you know the market will dictate what uh what works right people some people will love my style and they'll gravitate towards the things i say other people will hate my style and think i'm full of crap and they'll go you know somewhere else and and that's fine so i i I, what i tell people is find the voices that that resonate you know for you find the people that you vibe with and then Get into their micro community and and stay there don't go seeking and searching for advice from a thousand different people you're just going to confuse the hell out of yourself right um, and I think that's the, that's a good place for people to start
0: well I for one love your love your style so i'll be i'll be one of them sticking to your micro community, but I think it's a very powerful advice and and on that line, and I know that I, I don't want to take advantage of of your time but um, If I, if I could ask you one question and I think it's relevant right now would be, you know, if I was, let's say I was in your team and you were my boss, right? Like how would you make sure, um, within the tool at your disposal that I bring my best self to work, like my authentic self to work?
2: Well, the first thing I have to do is bring my authentic self to work repeatedly. So you feel like you can trust me to be your authentic self. I, I have to give you space to and time to do that. And then I have to listen and, and genuinely care about the responses and answers and understand, you know, what you're going through and what are the obstacles in your way that we, you know, should maybe work on and, and slowly remove so you can you can perform you know, to your potential, where do you want to go? That, that's my job. My job is to take people who know where they want to go and help them get there by removing obstacles out of their way and supporting them as best I can. Um, so how do, how do I do that? I, I put the time in, (laughs) you know, there's no, I don't have great hack here. It's like I put the time in, I have conversations with people, um, I do the things that I say I'm going to do. You know, if somebody asks me for help on something, I fucking do it. Right. I mean, I'm perfect example. Like I respond to everybody on all the channels and it takes an outrageous amount of time. And I know plenty of other people who, uh, who don't do it because it takes so much time. But for me, like the authenticity on display for me and accessibility, like that means the world to me. And, and I think if you can operate that way with your team, you create an environment that is, is safe for them. And when you need something, I'm there and I'm there quickly. And I'm there with solutions, not judgments, right? Um, and that's how, that's how it begins.
0: Well I think there wasn't a better way to uh, to to go towards the the end of the conversation unfortunately. Um Scott how how can people um get in touch with you like can they get in touch with you what's the best way to get a hold of you uh you know whether it's for uh, sales advice or or being authentic uh within sales or within the occupational environment. Yeah you know um I I've got my hands in a lot of cookie
2: jars, but my main business is uh, is ScottLeaseConsulting.com. I, I help companies scale from zero to 25 million, build out a sales playbook, get the right process and messaging, and then get the right people in place from executive to frontline sellers. Um, I also do a lot of private coaching from CEOs to VPs to AEs and SDRs. Um, all that kind of information is available on my website there. Richard and I host the surf and sales podcast. So if you, you know, like what you hear from Richard and I, and, and want to uh, hear from a lot of other smart people around the world, you can check that out and subscribe to that. Uh, the surf and sales summit is on pause right now, but um, check out surf for some fun events. Uh, 2021. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll be sure to get back to you. It's, easier these days to connect and join my patreon community that i've set up uh, it's i've set it up super cheap it's ten dollars a month you know if i can't give you ten dollars a month of value then uh <laughs> i should fire myself um but that's that's you know it's a lot smaller more intimate easier for me to you know connect with everybody i give out my cell phone i give out my email and i'm just trying to help as many people as i can so those, these are all ways to reach out to me. And today's Thursday. I know it'll be in the middle of the morning, late at night in Berlin. But uh, every Thursday night, I'm with Amy Bolas on Thursday night sales for Q and A about sales and careers and you know networking and all that kind of thing as well. So it's a long, obnoxious list. I know. I, I, I feel bad even mentioning all the things, but
0: you sound like a very, very busy person.
2: I'm. I'm. I'm I keep myself busy. Yeah, I keep myself busy.
1: Seems like
0: it. scott um only thing i can say is thank you so much i i i i believe this is bringing a lot of value to people like your content brings a lot of value to people and uh, and hopefully our conversation will bring value to uh to even more people so um thank you again and obviously thank you uh, richard for joining at the beginning of the conversation scott i hope we can do this again someday not to uh not to not too late in the future but uh, you know as soon as we can. Sounds good, ma'am. I appreciate you having me.